Before we get started, I need to thank two new Patreon patrons. Thank you, Adler Ludvigson and Ty Cedars. Ty and Adler are now both patrons of the original cast, and uh, they are now enjoying all the benefits of that, uh, which is the original cast of the movies, our monthly bonus podcast, where we talk about musical movies. This year is all about Stephen Sondheim. You've got the A Little Night Music episode out now. Soon I'm recording the episode about Dick Tracy. We've done The Last of Sheila. We're doing all Stephen Sondheim's movies. We've been doing it for four years now. We have a great back catalog and you gain access to all of it instantly when you become a patron of the original cast go to patreon.com slash original cast pod and become a patron we have several levels we have lots of different things you can get for joining at those levels go be like adler be like ty become a patron of the original cast patreon.com slash original cast pod the original cast is brought to you this week by Monumental Theater Company's Songs for a New World, now available to stream on demand at monumentaltheater.org. Whenever my world falls apart, I never lose hope or lose heart. Whatever the form of the storm that may brew, not with you to lean on, darlings, you. Hello and welcome to The Original Cast, a podcast about original cast albums and the people who love them. I'm Patrick Flynn. My guest today is a director here in the D.C. area who has worked with Avant Bard and Next Stop Theater Company and Ally Theater Company and all kinds of theater companies. It's Megan <laughs> Bem, everybody. Thank you for having me. Thank you for being had. This is a <laughs> good time to be, to be had, try to get this conversation together. Indeed. And we are here, and you're here, to talk about... Six. We're one of a kind, no category. Too many years lost in history. We're free to take our crowning glory for five more minutes. We're six. Whoa, whoa, we're six. Whoa, oh, oh. we're six. Whoa, whoa, for five more minutes. How did Six come into your life? Um, so I think I first heard about it when it came to the Chicago Shakespeare Theater, mm. um, which is where it actually had its U.S. debut before it went to Broadway. Um, and I can't remember if it was something I saw on social media or if I I'm on their email list, so I might have just gotten an email about it. Mm. Um, and I remember hearing about that and going, "Oh, that's that's really interesting." Like I like all of the key words in the description of this musical, <laughs> like rock, like rock musical, like feminist reimagining of this. And I'm a big old Tudor history nerd. So I was interested. Uh, and then I sort of forgot that it existed because life goes on. Sure. And, um, and uh, I started listening to the album a lot, I guess, I guess it was late 2019 when it dropped, mm-hmm. um, and it was it's it's a relatively short album, and I had a lot of I was doing a lot of driving at the time, pretty regular like 50 55 minute drives, and so like that album was sort of the perfect length, mm-hmm. so I listened to it a few times on on the drive, um, and then I was gonna see it literally the day new york city like shut down it was it was like my their opening day like i had opened it i was supposed to have opened another show and it was like my opening gift to myself i was going to go up and see it with an old friend um and i couldn't uh but then uh i guess in the past couple of months my oldest stepdaughter is 12 and she has a friend that's a big musical theater nerd and I guess her friend told her about six and she was like, Megan, what is this? And I was like, Oh child. Oh, okay. Yeah. <laughs> let's <laughs> so, um, so she has been listening to it pretty much nonstop. Okay. Um, there's been a few other things sprinkled in, but she was listening. I mean, there was like a three or four week period where it was like all she was listening to. So every time she took a shower, every time we were in the car, like, you know, she was listening wow. to it. Um, and she loves singing karaoke. So we found like karaoke tracks on YouTube and that sort of thing. Oh, um, wow. And so it, it's interesting. It has this sort of double meaning for me now because it's like this thing that I love, but also have a lot of differing opinions about. And then this thing that she loves. And so it's kind of been kind of fun to see it through her eyes. Um, and so I've, yeah, it's been, it's been something that I've been thinking about a lot, like as a piece of theater and as a way to learn about and access history um, mm. at that age, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and, and it's interesting, you know, I mean, she is the generation that like listened to Hamilton when they were eight, right. you know? So like 
this idea of like fun historical musicals um you know is i'm gonna be curious to see like how it how it affects things well it isn't if you were to chart when hamilton became a phenomenon Mm -hmm. what the next big historical musical would be i don't think the wives of henry the eighth concert musical no would have been anybody's guess it would it was i think in i don't know if it's in the hamilton book or in one of the one of the myriad articles written at the new york mm. at the new york times around the time hamilton opened where they interviewed sondheim and he predicted the next big one was going to be a lincoln musical um a lincoln rap musical specifically he was thinking about rap and he thought the next one would be a lincoln musical he was very confident in this. And hmm. I don't, you know, it's hard to say <laughs> whether he's right or not, because like we're still, nothing's on Broadway right now. And I can't say right. there's been a new historical musical from America, obviously, because Six is British, right. that's made it to Broadway. So who knows? He could still be yeah. proved true. But Although I've been fascinated by like the resurgence of interest in things like Oklahoma, mm-hmm. like and I guess it's because of the revival that just happened on Broadway, but I work with a lot of high school students and like, they're genuinely interested in it. Yeah. And I guess a lot of people have been doing ragtime too in like mm-hmm. the past five, six years mm-hmm. before the pandemic. Right. That was here too. also. Yeah. That was yeah, at Ford's. That, yeah. And, yeah. It's been around. Yeah. So. Which is, which yeah. is history of a sort, obviously. Like those, those right. are shows that are history of a type. They're, they're, they're period pieces. Mm-hmm. Or, I mean, Ragtime has historical figures in it, obviously, right. but it is not about the historical figures. Whereas Six, like Hamilton, is about the ha- they st- you know it's like Hamilton right. meets Alter Boys, and we end up with yeah. with with Six. It's all I could think of the whole time I was listening to it. Usually, <laughs> usually I have I have the guests give a plot synopsis, but I don't like I don't want to do that exactly because it is just the six ex wives of Henry. VIII. Yeah, I mean it's interesting too because like I haven't seen it. I'm finally going to see it this fall with Elsie, my oldest oh, daughter, okay. and my sister in law, who's a big fan too. Um, so the three of us are going to see it. So, like, I, I actually didn't know that there's, like, this whole framing device, apparently. I was reading up on it earlier mm-hmm. this week. Like, it's a competition, and there's, like, actually a lot of stuff that's written that's not in the songs. Uh, right. Which I didn't know. So, I have no idea what the actual, like, story beyond the songs is, because well, I haven't seen it. And that's why I compared it to Alter Boys, because Alter Boys is the same way. I mean, Alter Boys is ostensibly a concert with a right. plot written on top of it, which is a good – Alter Boys has a good book. I don't want to be belittling. Mm-hmm. but Yeah, it does. Alter Boys and Six are about the songs. The songs right. convey what is happening, and that is right. the sort of the, the reason you go. It's the reason that you're you're there. And yeah, there apparently is a competition to to find out who the true who he who Henry VIII treated the worst. I guess. Yeah, yeah, it's like whoever had the like most dramatic story gets to be the lead singer of the band or something like right. that. Right. Okay. Yeah. So. And then they reject it and become friends. Like, right. which is like. Okay, that's a little heavy-handed, but like I appreciate the message of that. So. Sure. So, <laughs> so yeah, I this this was pitched to me a long time. Gosh, when when did I? I guess it was 2019. I guess it was the same time. Whenever yeah. it came out, somebody said you got to listen to Six if you haven't heard Six. Um, it's 55 minutes long or 45 minutes right. long. People keep saying it's 42 minutes long. That's what it is. People keep saying it's 42 minutes long. You have to listen to it. And it was so funny to be. Like that was a huge selling point for people, but it was like it's really short. You got to listen to it, mm-hmm. and I was like, okay. And but I did listen to it because it was so short. And he, so here's the thing for me about sex. I, I like you. I've never seen it. I've listened to it several times, and I. There are people on my Twitter feed, of all ages, shape, sizes, and and music theater fandom levels. Seriously, all strata who think this show is the greatest thing. Ever. Now, a lot of them have seen it, so I will give them, I will weigh their opinion greater. But I find myself every time I listen to this forgetting, it, it's just kind of forgettable. It's just sort of floating through my head. There are songs in it that I absolutely, absolutely love, um, but it just kind of drifts through my head and then it's over. You know what I mean? Like, And then it's. It, it, it's out and I'm kind of like, oh, right, well, I'll listen to it again. You know, and this time I'll really click in. And listening to it to talk to you, I was really listening to it. I'm like, I'm going to – and it still happened. I still was like – you get through like household, House of Holbein or somewhere in there and I'm like, wait, where am I exactly? What is, I, I don't forget where I'm at. And I don't know 
if it's me <laughs> or it's the style of music and me or what it is, but I find it hard to like get a hold of it for some reason. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think for me, there were like th- the first time I listened to it, I had a sort of similar response to it. It's just like, there were three or three songs or so that I really, maybe four that I really loved. Mm-hmm. And then I just sort of listened to those four, like, Sometimes I'd be going on a run and I'd be bored with like what I was listening to. And I'd be like, I'm going to run to six because why not? But it was like those four songs that Mm -hmm. I liked a lot. Um, And yeah, so I forced myself to not force myself, but I've like made myself listen to it sort of all the way through more, uh, partly because Elsie had so many questions about some of the stuff in the, in the show. And I Mm. couldn't quite remember some of the things that she was clicking onto. uh, And she wanted to listen to it all the way through, but also just, you know, in advance of talking to you. And, and I definitely like, you know, the opening number and the closing number basically are the same song. Yes. Essentially. Yeah. Uh, and so I think they sort of blend together. House of Holbein probably is hilarious when you see it live, mm-hmm. I would imagine. Um, and then, you know, the six songs I think are very different. But I also think, like, I mean, I genuinely enjoy pop music. Like, mm-hmm. and so I think that helps. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I, I, you know, I can be like, oh, that's a that's an Ariana Grande reference. Like, okay, cool. Not that I listen to her that much, but... But, like, I, I am aware enough of certain kinds, like, that kind of music mm-hmm. that I think I don't tune it out as much. But but I'm with you. I mean, I think there's some really interesting things about it as a show. Mm-hmm. And it's definitely embracing a lot of trends that I would like to see more shows go in the direction of. But I also don't think it's, like, the greatest thing to ever happen to musical theater. Um, so I like it a lot. But I'm with you. I'm not, like, one of the, ra- like, absolutely rabid fans. Um, I think there's some parts of it that are, like, a little undercooked. And that's fine. Like, mm-hmm. I also think that what you're listening to, I mean, I wish I've seen it so that I could speak to this more you know, um, maybe I'll have a totally different opinion once I've seen it. What kind of trends do you like in it that you wish other shows were were following? So I'm stealing this from my husband, who's Casey Kaliba, who's a wonderful fight director in town. And um, he's always had this thing where he talks about how he wishes theater was a little bit more like rock concerts mm. or like other forms of like sort of what we would call like mass entertainment. You okay. know, um, you know, what is it about? sporting events and rock concerts and like these other things that create that sense of community that we always talk about in theater, but don't always tap into. Like there are shows that absolutely do that. There are shows that like talk about it that never do it. And then there's a lot of shows where that it's a very passive, Mm -hmm. you know, experience. Um, And I saw, um, Oh God, the talking head show. American Utopia. American Utopia. Thank you. So I would really liked it. And I thought it was really interesting. And it wasn't like anything I'd really seen before in on Broadway. I've seen shows like that in other capacities, sort of. Um, but it you know, definitely got me thinking about like what it's like when you have people walk into a room that know the show, like they know the music, and mm-hmm. it, it has like an emotional resonance for them. And then you encourage folks to like engage with it. Like okay, like, a lot of us know the words to Les Mis, but we're not, like, getting up at the barricade, right? right. And being like, ah! Like, <laughs> I've definitely had that impulse. Um, but uh, that is generally frowned upon. Frowned upon, yeah, widely um, frowned upon, yeah. But, like, you know, there were definitely parts of it where there was a lot of sitting down, but there were a lot of parts of it that were, like, a dance party, you know, burning down the house, like, everyone was up out mm-hmm. of their seats, and that was cool. And so, you know, I was thinking about that when I first listened to Six of, like, this idea of theater can be very artsy. Theater can be very intellectual. Theater can be anything you want it to be. I mean, I think that's part of the fun of theater. But I think there's a, there is a lingering snootiness among some audiences mm-hmm. and some people about theater that I think is finally starting to go away. And that makes me really happy. And so I think things like Six are really great at being like, we're going to have strobe lights and you're going to get up and dance and there's going to be this this sort of very different energy. Um, well, and they like encourage cell phone videos. And they from what yeah. I understand, they encourage those sorts of rather than like no phones or it's like, no, take your videos, like post whatever you want. Like, it, yeah. It's Cause very... you can find 
so much footage of the show. Right. I mean, that was one of the things where I was trying to look something up about it um, for for our chat. Mm-hmm. And I was like, oh, there's like dozens and dozens and dozens of videos. Yeah. And I was, I was like, how is this, how are these up? Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's, I think it's, I think it's neat, you know? Um, I think, so I, I love that. And I also love, you know, anything that reimagines history through a feminist lens I'm interested in mm-hmm. anything mm-hmm. that has lots of awesome female parts or, you know, non-binary parts sure. on stage. Um, uh, you know, a cast that is that diverse, like, it just it checks a lot of boxes for me of mm-hmm. things I want to see more of, you know, um, you know, both as a director and as like a, an audience member. Um, that's more the kind of theater I want to see. So there's three things you just brought up. I want to talk about all of them, but sure. so we'll take them out. And that's snootiness, history and feminism. Uh, okay, great. Right. Yeah. So we'll let's start with the history because it's the least. <laughs> it's the least. Uh, I think it's the the most surface level of this show. So, sure. as, as a history lesson, mm-hmm. and you say you're you're a Tudor history nerd. Um, yeah, I'm much more of a Plantagenet nerd. So I will. Ah, I okay, will, great. Uh, I'll defer. Um, but I mean, everybody knows ostensibly. You know, Henry the Sixth had. Six wives. If they don't know six wives, they know had a number of wives, right. and like you know, left Rome uh, in order and left, separated with the Catholic mm-hmm. Church in order to have all these wives, and it caused mm-hmm. a lot of problems both mm-hmm. in his lifetime and then after his lifetime. Yeah, um, yeah. I mean, the ripple effects of it went on oh, for hundreds of years. Yeah, yeah. It, was, it was shocking, and it it's uh, so from as from a his, historical standpoint, one thing that I kind of get. So first of all, my first question, I should have looked this up before. Are they in order? Mm-hmm, they they are. are. Okay, I thought so. Yeah. I thought so. Right, because Catherine of Aragon. It, it goes Catherine to Catherine. That's right. Um yes. Three Catherines. Catherine. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's so funny. Uh, and as they go through, I was struck by how similar their stories get to a certain point. There's always seems to be a certain point in each of their stories, with the exception of one that I think is important, where they, it, it, it's like, I'm doing this thing and I'm doing that thing and I'm going to flirt with people and I'm going to do a thing and then I'm dead or I'm divorced or I'm in trouble or mm-hmm. I'm whatever. It, it seems to, they, they all kind of, the songs devolve the story to a very common mm-hmm. point. Now, from which some of them spring into weird and wild directions, right. but some of them just kind of peter out. Now, of course, obviously not every story is going to be equally historically interesting. Right. Um, but it feels to me that the, the sort of, one of the things this show does is reinforce almost how similar these stories kind of are. And mm-hmm. I don't know if that's true or not, or if that's just a convention of the show. Well, I think one of the things, okay, I have so many thoughts about what you just said. Mm. So I think one of the things the show succeeds with is that a lot of us know about the first three, but right. know very little about numbers four five and six. Yeah. And they're really interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, for very different reasons. Um, and you're right. I think that each of these women are extremely different. Like historically, you know, in the musical, but also historically, we're very different in, in many ways. Um, and and yet you're right. Like there is a sort of like almost a script that their lives went through, mm-hmm. you know, mostly dominated by powerful men in their family who wanted to get them in Henry's bed so they could have more political power at court. I mean, that's how all of them started with oh, the sure. exception of Catherine and the first Catherine and Anne, that's how they all start. Yeah. Um, but it is interesting. And I think a lot of people don't know this, but like this, the parallels between Anne and Catherine Howard. So the two ones that are beheaded, mm-hmm. they're cousins. Right. And they were both essentially helped to the throne by the same scheming uncle. Yes. Who, like, somehow did not learn any of the lessons from Anne and, like, repeated them, but worse, <laughs> with Catherine Howard. And, like, he somehow was the only one that survived. Like, all these Boleyns are executed when Anne is executed. And he, he somehow Swings gets out of it. Yeah. Somehow. And, you know what is it like eight or nine years later is like, I've got a great idea. Right. Let's do it again. <laughs> you this know, time and it'll Catherine work. Howard was literally a child. You know, right. she was 17 when she married a man that was almost 50. Right. And, 
she didn't have the brains that Anne did, you know, she didn't. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I think it's interesting that the two beheadings were also the same family family. for the same thing, almost for the the same time. (laughs) Oh my goodness. So the, yeah. So historically, I mean, it, 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 it's sort of obviously there's the conceit of the concert. It doesn't get I'm not going to get bogged down in historical accuracy of it. Mm-hmm. It doesn't because unlike Hamilton, it doesn't purport to represent historical moments on the stage. It, it's a no, retelling. It's no. a, yeah, a relaying of a story. Right. And I do think, you know, it's interesting. I, I, I mean, I am definitely not an expert. Um, I just, you know, read a lot of books at a formative age about Tudor history and really enjoy um, stories about these women and mm-hmm. and then also the sort of like Mary Elizabeth into James sure. sort of eras are fascinating to me as well. Um, so, but I think that they, you know, yes, historically um, they're, you know, they're not trying to recreate certain events necessarily, but I actually think they do a pretty good job of distilling the personalities down and the sort of basic events with mm. the exception of Anne Boleyn. And that is my biggest. Yes. That is my biggest thing about this musical. And I, and I'm so torn up about it because as a director, I understand why they made her the comedic relief. Right. Like I completely get it. Uh, Catherine of Aragon, you can't make her funny. Like you can make her powerful. You can make her amazing. You can make her all sorts of things, but she's not funny. Jane Seymour is like, I don't like Jane Seymour (laughs) historically or in the musical. Oh wow. Uh, Anne of Cleves is like great, but, but then, and then as you get into the, the, the latter six, you know, the other two that would make sense for comedic relief are Anne of Cleves, and, but all the jokes would be about how she's ugly, which is, which you don't want to do great, that. Right. Or Catherine Howard, and all the jokes would be about her being sort of, you know, a floozy, but right. she's also a child. Right, you know, so that's so. not great either. Yeah. So it makes sense that they, they, they got this idea of Anne being the sort of sassy rebel. Right. You know, it makes total theatrical sense. And if I'm going to pick one song to sing to in the car, it's going to be hers. Right. But, like, they did her dirty. Grew up in the French court. We wee bonjour. Life was a chore, so. She set sail. 1522 came straight to the UK. All the British dudes lay. Epic fail. Ooh. I want to dance and sing. Politics. Not my thing. Ooh. But then I met the king. And soon my daddy said, you should try and get ahead. Obviously, messaging me like every day. Couldn't be better than he sent me a letter. And who am I kidding? I was pret a manger. Sent a reply. Just saying hi. You're a nice guy. I'll think about it, maybe. XO, baby. Here we go. You sent him kisses. I didn't know I would move in with his missus. I meant to do Sorry not sorry about what I said I'm just trying to have some fun Don't worry, don't worry, don't lose your head I didn't mean to hurt anyone L-O-L, say oh well Or go to hell I'm sorry not sorry about what I said Don't lose your head you know, in particular, they they paint her as like not being interested in po- politics, right? And like not, um, and like not not even being not just not being good at them, but having no interest in them. When like she was like she would not have ended up where she ended up if she wasn't incredibly good at politics, mm-hmm. you know. And there's a period of time before they got actually married where she was serving as the queen, de facto queen, essentially. Right. And she was the one meeting the diplomats and like doing all these heads of state things, like. She was really good at well, that. And, and her daughter is Elizabeth the first. I, I know. Mean, like right. she in in some ways she wins because she's the yeah. one who present who I mean, because all of this, if you don't know, the, the Henry VIII's continual <laughs> quest right. for another bride is for a son. He wants yeah. a son. And he gets one sort of it, it's bad. I'm not gonna get into it. But he but it like he, he never re, he never gets a son who can ascend the throne. Right. And it goes from him to um to Mary uh to 
to Elizabeth I, who's a queen right. maybe you've heard of. Like she's right. like yeah, she's the big queen with a nine day detour to uh, poor Lady Jane Grey. Yeah, that's true. Well, she right. was never coronated, right? Isn't there a thing about that? I don't remember. I don't, I don't remember. think so. No. In any event, um, it ain't great. You know, Henry Henry VIII, right. bad dude. But <laughs> bad, big but, bad. Yeah, but bad Elizabeth dude. I did a you know good stuff. Did great work and. Anne Boleyn is her mom. So it seems disingenuous to dismiss the fact that she's the one whose child actually becomes uh, queen and a queen for a very, very long time and tremendously successful. Um, Had her own succession problems, obviously, but hey, you know, it is what it is. Uh, Made it illegal. I mean, one of the things, of course, that's funny about, you know, Henry, too, is that, like, you know, we don't know for sure because he only ever acknowledged one of them, but he had a whole bunch of sons out of wedlock. Right. Like, probably, like, we don't know for sure. Mm -hmm. We only know, I think it's Henry Fitzroy, I think is the one that he uh, uh, acknowledged. But there's a lot of scholars that think there's at least two or three more, possibly one of them actually being Mary Boleyn's son. Right. Um, So, like, he he had a bunch of, you know, if he just kept it in his pants and, like... He would have had more son, like well, that's like every sons, guy but... in history, though. It's like if you right, just kept it in your pants, everything would have been fine. Well, because it's that weird thing. Like what what the stories do is demonstrate just how absurd societal rules around monarchy always have to be. Where it's yeah. like he's he's got to do certain things a certain way. I mean, it's right. the whole thing with um uh. It's it's Anne of Cleves, right? Is the one who he marries because of her picture. Yeah. So, but like and the that, older I get, the more I like Anne of Cleves. Like well, I'm not going to lie. Is like Anne of like, Cleves. He 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 agrees to marry her. He sees her painting, which is not even her photograph. I love the way they like it, that is the most successful right. song for me in this musical from the like modern music style because it is really like you saw my pic, my profile pic and you didn't think I looked like that and that's why you got right. mad. You said that I tricked you Cause I, I didn't look like my profile picture too Too bad I don't agree So I'm gonna hang it up for everyone to see And you can't stop me Cause I'm the queen of the castle Get down you dirty rascal Get down Get down Get down, you dirty rascal. Get down. But the historical truth behind it being the fact that, like, he agrees to marry her to form this alliance with Germany, then he meets her, and then he doesn't think she's cute. I know. And, and so, and like in real life, they were married for like 15 days, and then it was like declared unconsummated, and she like to got, got to go leave. And like, she actually kind of made it out alive what? in a really interesting way. Yeah, they became really good friends. Right. Like they became like best friends. She like, outlived she just Mary, hung out. right? She outlived. Yeah, yeah. I mean, she. Yeah, like, I she mean, lived like, for a long time. And you know, the older I get, the more I'm like, one, you definitely had the best deal yeah. out of all of it. Like, you didn't actually have to put up with him, uh, and you got all the stuff out of it. But also, like, how did you do that? Like, honestly, how <laughs> did you do that? Um, you know, with the language barrier, with everything, like. How, how did you do that? Um, because it's mass, like, it's incredible that she did that. Right. Um, you know, I mean, there's so many people, men, women, people of all, pa- you know, I mean, that, as you know, any court anywhere at that time is a viper's nest. And, you know, yes. she somehow played the game better than anyone else without really playing the game. Like, I, that's I think, the thing, right? Yeah, slightly helped by the fact that she didn't really speak the language very well, which seems to have, like boated her pretty well that like she really didn't know what was going on so she never offended a lot of people that's a good point and but also she was like she had the advantage of having a powerful um alliance Mm -hmm. and so like nobody could screw with her because if you screw with her you screw with the the family and if you screw with the family we're in a lot of trouble so like just be nice to her and and she yes she just sort of slid through and got out of there with her head still attached which is no small feat since one third of these women are beheaded it is you know fully one third but you brought up an interesting point about making Anne Boleyn the comic relief which she absolutely is I mean there's more reasons you have to do that as you know like you say directorially 
she comes a third of the way in. We need to laugh. Like at this point, right. we've done X wives. Yeah. We've done no way. We need right. a joke. She and we're about to have a big old ballad. Like you right. Need, so right. you get don't lose your head, which is funny and you know ironic and a lot of different things. But here's something that I thought of a lot listening to this a couple of times through. This story is not funny. There was like an inherent problem with me, me as a viewer, and maybe it is the knowing too much about the historical aspects of it. Mm -hmm. But it was the thing of like, you are trying to make things, they're not running from the realism of it. I'm not saying they've made a comedy. But they are telling a lot of like, the central conceit of this with all the humor around it to me, feels very forgiving of Henry. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. It, it's sort of a lot of, like, I'm very sassy, and I'm cool, and, like, what are you going to do about it? Kind of, like, this kind of attitude. And mm-hmm. I don't, while it does eventually get there in the end, I think, with I Don't Need Your Love in Six, like, I think it mm-hmm. arrives at the right place. There's a lot of moments where I'm just like, this is horrifying. Like, mm-hmm. what is happening is absolutely horrifying. And... Why aren't we spending a little the, – the, which is why I think the most successful song in the show – it's a little early in our podcast for me to reveal this sort of thing, but I'm going to do it anyway. <laughs> the most successful moment song in and, and beat in the show is Catherine Howard's song because oh, yeah. it fully illustrates the fact that she was 13 <laughs> – like when her, her her world sort of opened up, she was mm-hmm. 17 when they got married and she was mm-hmm. 19 when she was beheaded. Like Something like that, yeah. There is a wild, tragic – and the song has a tragic turn when yeah. she sort of realizes right before she dies that like, oh, I thought – like she kept thinking she'd found somebody who liked her for her and it, it never was. It was always right. about sex all the way through. Like the last bit of it is – genuinely disturbing yeah and that that should be the bit to me all the way through this and you can't do that six times like you can't do the same trick over and over again no no and i do wonder with with Anne if part of the point of what they're trying to do is that her story is so well known and there's so much out there about this like you know about her the tragedy of her life that maybe they just wanted to sort of like give the middle finger to that and Mm -hmm. be like fuck it, we're going to make her funny. Like, but yeah, I agree with you. You know, I think it's interesting. Um, Because she is the one, I think, Anne Boleyn's the one who most has been written about, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. Because she's sort of like the Tudor dynasty's Helen of Troy. You know, like, Henry went to war with the church, the Catholic church over her, basically. Like, you know, it's not quite that simple, but that's kind of what happened. Yeah. And I mean, I, I think, you know, Six Wives of Henry VIII aside, like, she's one of my favorite historical figures anywhere, ever. I think she's fascinating. Mm. Um, And I think she's such a – I think she's such an interesting example and a a valid reminder of how history is political. Mm -hmm. Because so much of what we thought we knew about her was wrong. Mm -hmm. And so much of what we have left was written by either men that hated her or then – or people that were then trying to paint a different picture of her later once Elizabeth was queen. Right. So, like, it, it's all it's all propaganda. It's all political propaganda. Mm-hmm. You know, it's very hard to really know her motivations and whether certain things are apocryphal or whether or not they actually happened. Um, but but she's so compelling to me, and she's so interesting. Um, and. Uh, and yeah, I mean, you know, she did like to party and she did like to, you know, she she did have a trouble keeping her mouth shut. Mm-hmm. Um, that And that was something that, you know, was part of what got her in trouble. And I think part of it is the way history is taught, you know, and mm-hmm. I, I don't think it's necessarily the fault of teachers. I think it's the American obsession with testing. Um, you know, it's dates and, mm-hmm. and, and treaties and, you know, but like the actual... The actual like day to day stuff is really, I mean, like the technology wasn't advanced, but it's not that different from what we we do now. Yeah. Not really. Sun went up, sun went down. People had to eat yeah. in between. Like that's kind yeah. of yeah. And like yeah. one of the first things that people did when they could take photographs was to take silly pictures of their cats. Like we're right. not that different. <laughs> 
Monumental Theater Company's Songs for a New World is available to stream on demand now. The 2018 version of the Jason Robert Brown musical features powerhouse vocals and a moving collection of musical theater favorites like King of the World, Stars in the Moon, and I'm Not Afraid of Anything. Don't miss the show. DC Metro Theater Arts calls breathtaking and incredible. Available now at monumentaltheater.org. More information in the show notes. We talked about history. So the the feminism thing is kind of tied into this idea mm-hmm. of like the fact that I don't think this is funny. But do you consider this from but that's for me. Do you consider this to be like a feminist work? And I'm not going to hold you to like any kind of hard and fast definition of that. Just speaking sort of generally, do you think it is a feminist work? I do, but I think it's imperfect. Mm-hmm. Um uh I think there's some and I I think that there are some moments that are really good i think there are some moments that like the message is really good but the wording's a little clunky um for me one it's this idea of like redefining them th- through their own merits which as you said mm-hmm. doesn't really click in until later in the musical. Right. Um and part of that might be just be because the first three their stories are so well known. I, I don't know. Right. Um but also for me you know, I do think it's it's a little cheesy, but this idea that like by the end they're all they go from being competitive with each other to like being friends. Mm-hmm. Um that for me is really interesting because I think that and there's been a lot written about this, you know, and talked about this, but I think for a very long time, women were conditioned to see other women as threats sure. in a way um, that, and like, yeah, like we, you know, there's close female friendships and all of that stuff. But, um, you know, there's a lot of, you know, there's a lot of movies and books and plays where there's like someone's mom and someone's girlfriend and right. like, that's it. And in real life, but then, you know, in real life, you're often, you know, there's 10 of you going after one job, you know, Mm -hmm. and then you have that sort of thing, you know, and um, when I was first starting out as a director, I was definitely guilty of this, of seeing other female directors as threats, Mm -hmm. because I knew only one of us was going to get hired for a season. And, you know, I, for a very long time, lied about my age. Mm. because I thought that I was too young to be taken seriously. Mm. Um, you know, so I mean, I, I didn't like, I, I wasn't walking around saying I was like 10 years older than I actually was, but I, I fudged it a little sure. bit sometimes. Um, and I consciously tried to look older and look less feminine. Like I didn't wear skirts or dresses to openings for like years because I had this idea in my head that if I wore a dress to a party, I wouldn't get hired as a director. Hmm. And that has changed. That is changing. Um, and I think part of that too was honestly, like nobody told me that it was just like something I absorbed from somewhere. And I think a lot of it had to do with the fact that most of my mentors were men. Mm-hmm. You know, I didn't know a lot of female directors that were successful. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and so I felt like I had to try to be a dude um but it took me a while to be like that woman that got that job i wanted is not a threat she's a peer and like there are actually enough jobs to go around the problem isn't the fact like she's not the problem the problem is that not enough women directors are getting hired like she and i can actually team up and like fight that system right and so i think that aspect of the show this idea that you know, these six women, you don't have to fight over a man. You don't have to fight over a job. You don't have to, like, you can actually have a better relationship, you know? Mm. And I think, I think, you know, it's interesting, like, looking at, like, how, you know, I said before, like, one of the things about it that's most interesting to me is sort of listening to it through the lens of, of Elsie, who's 12. And, like, I remember, uh, like two years ago, she she really wanted to to. She was asking me a lot about like, because I guess she was be, re, starting to read books about like boys and girls and like dating and like stuff, you know. And it was in, it was all intellectual, like sure. it was not, you know. But one of the first questions she asked me was like, well, "What do you do 
when you and one of your girlfriends liked the same boy. Oh, and, like, it had only been presented to her as a problem. Right. Like, and as and it's like an antagonistic thing. Mm-hmm. And not from the people in her life, but through, like, just culture. Just, right. That's you know, the and, plot and, of a thousand right. stories. And that's yeah. something she was really concerned about. Um, <laughs> you know, and so I'm really pro stuff like Six for you know, young girls, because I think it does have this idea that like, we, we do not need to be defined by the men in our life. Mm -hmm. We don't need to compete with each other. Like there are six great singers on the stage. We can actually all sing together and it sounds so much better. Mm -hmm. Like the, the coolest parts of it, you know, I think like sonically are when they're all singing in those harmonies, like that's awesome. And, and so I think that aspect of the feminism of it is really triumphant. Um, and I think for a lot of adults listening to it, it is sort of like, yeah, okay. Yeah, we get it. We get it. Okay. But I think that it's still worth repeating and it's still, you know, I think, I think there are a lot of teenage girls that are really into this musical mm-hmm. and I, that makes me feel good that there's a lot of teenage girls out there listening to this mm-hmm. musical. Um, because there wasn't really anything like that that I was listening to at that age. That was that sort of like pro women had that many women in it, mm-hmm. you know, um, and where the women were. Yeah, it was like an, an ensemble of women. Um, and that's the thing that I like, too, is, you know, I just I just dig ensembles, you know, and so it's it's interesting because it is, you know, each song is a solo, but there is definitely this sort of ensemble feel to it that I think is interesting. Um, so yeah, you know, I think, I think it has moments where I wish they had either dialed it up a little bit or phrased it a little differently, but I, I definitely see it as a, as a piece of, of feminist theater. And I think part of that too, is just like, you know, I, in the same way that I love the wolves, um, which is one of my favorite plays that's been written in the past decade, you know, it's just like, it is so nice to see, 10 women on stage or six women on stage or whatever. Like we just haven't had that, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and you know, there is no 12 angry men for women like there, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And so I think that, you know, until there is much more, there are much more diverse shows being put up more consistently. um, It is still packing a punch, you know? And I think that it is, it is, it is uh, exciting for me that a show that is so financially, like, so financially successful uh, on Broadway is composed of the performers it's composed of. Mm-hmm. You know, it is it is six women um, and, you know, a very diverse group of women. And um, that makes me happy. As I think that. What 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 it, what it, what I'm what I'm sort of discovering as we talk about this show is that. I don't think that my problems with it exist in a realism versus non-realism mm-hmm. style as much as I think I unfairly was putting more on this show than it wanted than it intended to hold. Yeah. If this is ju- if this is a mu- I'm not going to use the word just. If this is a musical about the fact that women need to stop competing with each other and need to stop defining each other by men, then that's more than enough. Right. And if it uses a bizarre <laughs> historical framing combined with an incongruous and, uh, you know, staging device, whatever. Like, if, right. like you say, if the point of it is the fact that, like, these six women all had equally shitty lives, basically. Mm-hmm. So why are we fighting over which of us was at the shittiest life right exactly like why are we doing that because that's still that doesn't escape us from the shadow of henry the eighth you're not going to escape from the shadow of henry the eighth so we just have to ignore it we just have to turn away from it and be like we are us we all have one weird terrible thing in common and it is what it is and if and and then we need to go on living our lives and that's incredible like that's that's more than enough for a show right. to exist and to right. 
to to be valid and to be worth seeing. It, now, I do tying back into. I'm going to skip the snootiness thing. We're going to say we covered that because of British. For those of you who are keeping track of the three things I said, I want. Yeah, to talk theater about. should be more affordable. And well, see, because uh, that's the thing. That's the thing that gets me. Is like we have. There are so many. Like as you know. Musical after musical for decades has been written with the theme of be yourself. And I really think that one of the reasons we're in the problem that we're in is that the only people seeing that were people who had so much money that the answer wasn't be yourself. The answer was, please give away your money. Like, what are you doing? And like... The people who needed to hear that message weren't hearing it until later they did it in high school, you know, 20 years later. And by that point, it was a whole other thing. So I think one of the great things about the, no, bring your cameras and film the thing and get, get the word out about the show any which way you can. It doesn't matter. Allows it to spread the message. So if you can't afford a $175 ticket to see six, you will still be able to access bits and pieces of it. To, to, until you can see it and then get the full, but you get the general message, which is like, oh, this is a show about women who stop competing with each other and they're great and they're awesome. It, but it's, it'll be interesting to see what happens with Six, which I think has more, has a better pedigree and a better score than, and also a better political, social commentary sense huh? than a show like Be More Chill or Percy Jackson which right. are courting the same audience, using a similar musical style, attempting to be current and relevant, and were crapped on for it. And it's also designed to tour. Like, yes. that show will tour and tour and, and tour, tour. endlessly. And, and can tour any make... venue. It can tour anywhere. It exactly. doesn't have to play. It can go anywhere. It actually, yeah. its requirements are actually not that crazy. It can play clubs. Um, like, it can play rock oh clubs. Oh, my God. You know, could, yeah. All over the country, yeah. Oh, yeah, Totally. Totally. I mean, I would love to see it at some place like the 930 Club. Yeah, I think that's literally awesome. what I was just thinking. Like, this is yeah. the show at the 930 Club would would be absolutely yeah, right? insane. It would be, be awesome. Incredible. Yeah. And like, and you know, when they're able to send it to, when they're able to license it for colleges and high schools, like. Oh, you'll get sick of it. It'll you be, will Yeah, it'll be great because everybody. You are. Yeah. Yeah. Like, it'll be everywhere. Yeah. Um, and I think that that is, that is something about it too that is, that is interesting to me and useful, you know, of shows that are how are they reaching people and i also think you know it's interesting with things like spotify too like mm -hmm. you know i think that you should pay for music as much as you possibly can but like it is so easy for my stepdaughters to access anything they want to listen to at mm -hmm. any time because they both have um, I mean, the little one doesn't, the nine-year-old, she can't, um, she can't call or anything, but she has an old phone that belonged to her mom or whatever, and she mm -hmm. can listen to Spotify on it. Mm -hmm. So, you know, they know so many, so much, so many musicals um, at a pretty young age because they can just like listen to it on Spotify. Mm -hmm. um, and I'm really intrigued by what that is going to do. Like the the kids that like grew up with that what that's going to do to the theater going population in like 10, 15, 20 years. Um, because I think a lot more people are going to know the albums when they show up to see the shows. And I'm wondering how that's going to yeah. affect things. Oh gosh. Yeah. I think my favorite song in six is all you want to do for all the reasons we discussed. Um, it's fun to sing. It's uh, very clever. And yet it is also, you know, as we discussed, really goes into just how messed up her life was. So I think it is sort of a triumph in that it is both a, a, a really fun song to sing and fun to listen to on its own, but then when you put it in the context um, of the greater show, it's, it's a really successful um, look at the sort of horrible environment women were in at the time. Um, so yeah, I, I think that one's probably my favorite. Where can people find you, Megan? This was a wonderful conversation. Where can find you? <laughs> um, so uh, people can find me. I have a website, um, www.megan-bem.com. You can find me on all social medias at mmbehm. Um, I am one of the producing partners at Avant Bard Theater. I would love for anyone listening to check us out. We are in the process of getting ready to announce our full season. We are back for 21, 22. 
Um, And that is really exciting. Agree, I'm the ten amongst these threes. And ever since I was a child, it'd make the boys go wild. Take my first music teacher, Henry Mannix. I was young, it's true, but even then I knew the only thing you wanna do is broad, dark, sexy Mannix taught me all about dynamics. He was 23 and I was 13 going on 30 we spent hours strumming the lute striking the chords and blowing the flute he plucked my strings all the way to G went from major to minor C to D tell me what you need what you want you don't need to plead cause I feel the chemistry like I Just care so much, it feels legit. We have a connection. I think this guy is different. Cause all you wanna do, all you wanna do, baby, is touch me, love me, can't get enough. See, all you wanna do, all you wanna do, baby, is please me, squeeze me, birds and the bees me. The original cast is produced and edited by me, Patrick Flynn. Please rate and review us on your podcatcher of choice. It's the easiest way to help the podcast grow. If you like movie musicals, then you have to check out patreon.com slash originalcastpod to learn about our bonus podcast, The Original Cast at the Movies. You can follow The Original Cast on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at originalcastpod. Monumental Theater Company's production of Songs for a New World is available now to stream at their website, monumentaltheater.org. Special thanks to our social media manager, Bethany Zalecki. Hi, Bethany. My thanks to Megan Bem for coming and talking to me. I'm Patrick Flynn, and I can't. I have rehearsal. I thought this time was different Why did I think he'd be different? But it's never, ever different